This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code SEX at checkout to get 10% off. This is the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Each episode, we ask a single question. Then we look to experts and listeners like you for the answers. This episode contains explicit content. Please proceed with caution. I'm Noah Michelson. And I'm Karina Kolodny. This week's question is, what happens when someone takes a vow of chastity or celibacy? This week's question is kind of surprising because we're talking about sex in as much as we're talking about not having sex. Exactly. So just to clarify, chastity is refraining from sexual activities, and celibacy is remaining single, though they are pretty much used interchangeably by most people to mean not engaging in sexual activity. And after we started talking to a lot of different people who all had a lot of different experiences, we decided to do an entire episode on those who have chosen to stop having sex, or vowed to never have sex or to get married. That way we could find out how they came to that decision, how it's affecting their lives, and what they've learned from it. To get a better understanding of chastity and celibacy, we'll be speaking with one woman who's on a break from sex and dating following a divorce, one woman who has given up sex to help her gain self-control and a closer relationship with God, and another woman who identifies as queer and chose celibacy when she converted to Catholicism in college. My name is Tabitha Wharton Munsinger, and I am 32 years old, and I live in Dayton, Ohio. Tabitha is a blogger and a single mother who documents her life and creative projects at TabithaETC.com. About two years ago, following months of sleeping in separate beds, Tabitha's husband moved out. They'd been together for 10 years and had two children together, so it was an adjustment to say the least. Tabitha quickly found herself in another relationship with a man who she says swept her off her feet. But after a year of dating, he abruptly ghosted her without any sort of breakup talk. Following the breakup with the person who ghosted me, my husband and I started sort of, my ex-husband, started a sort of sexual relationship between the two of us. There was no getting back together. It was nothing like trying again. It was just like, I'm not doing anything. Are you doing anything? No? All right. Again, we'd known each other forever, had been married. And um, that was also messing with me quite a bit, quite a bit more than I realized. So I decided I was done with that and kind of done with all of it. I didn't want sex or a romantic relationship to, I want to say, hold me back or keep me from being able to be self-sufficient emotionally. So I decided I'm not going to date anybody or sleep with anybody for 2016. And at the end of that year, we'll see where I'm at. It might continue. Who knows? That's definitely a lot to deal with, and I can relate. Not in a really formal way, but I definitely can understand going through a breakup and not wanting to get out there for a while, kind of having a period of hibernation. What about you, Noah? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm ready to get out there. Yeah. I, I want more new penises in my life after I break up with someone, because I've never been in an open relationship, so the idea of 
you know, it's like going back to the candy store after you've been on a diet for a while. But I do understand what you're saying, too, and what and what she's saying in, in terms of trying to take a break from the actual emotional components of it. I usually don't start dating someone immediately after I've broken up with someone else. I take a bit of a break. Right. Well, in my case, it's not like I'm setting hard, fast rules or deadlines or anything. I think it's just sort of my natural response. But it's interesting because I think one of the most difficult things about even talking about celibacy is in defining what in the hell it means in 2016. I think we've pretty firmly established in past episodes that sex, in our minds at least, is more of a menu of activities than just one particular act. Tabitha addressed this ahead of time by posting her personal commandments for celibacy on her blog. Well, when I first started to think that this was a thing I wanted to try, it was around the holidays um, this, this past year. And I was starting to think like, well, what does that even mean? Because, you know, it's all fine and good to say you're being celibate. But if you're still going to, you know, are you still going to date? Are you still going to mess around with people? Are you still going, you know, I wanted parameters to adhere to. And the reason I blogged them was therefore um, my friends and my blog readers and whoever would hold me accountable. I would therefore have to be accountable. And I wouldn't be able to back out when, you know, somebody who strikes my fancy decides to come along at some point if they do. So the very first one was, um, I'm not going to be in a romantic relationship with anybody. I'm not going to date anyone. Um, because I don't think I'm in a very good place for that right now. Um, and I think it's a way to sort of hide. It's easy to just like casually date and not have anything go below surface level. And as a single parent, I don't have a whole lot of free time as it is. So to fill it up with mindless dates when I'm probably not actually interested in people, I'm not going to date for the sake of dating. One of them was I'm not going to have any casual sex with anyone including my ex-husband, and he actually has asked recently. And I had to be like, this is stopping. This is not a thing. No dating sites to fill the empty spaces. That was kind of twofold. That was really fun for a hot second when I first joined them. And then I kept getting matched with my ex-husband on like almost every single platform I could think of, which... Not only was that irritating because I've been there, done that. We have the same unusual last name. Like, come on, (laughs) come on, algorithms, really? Um, It was just really disheartening that that was the best that could be found in my area based on interests and whatever. And I just wasn't, I found myself sort of dumbing down what I found acceptable. And even like apps like Tinder and stuff, you can get into that mindset of just sweeping through, but it can really mess with your self-esteem if you let it, if you're not in a good place. There was no surrogate boyfriends or girlfriends, um, which is sort of a terminology I'd come up with over the years. But, you know, nobody who is interested in you that you are not interested in, but you're keeping around just for the attention, which is something I've been guilty of before. I'm kind of horrified that she was matched with her ex-husband. It's kind of like when Facebook tells me to reconnect with my dead grandmother, hashtag algorithm fail. (laughs) But Noah, you online date pretty prodigiously, so I'm curious what you think about all of this. Yeah, my whole uh, motto when it comes to online dating is low expectations, high hopes. (laughs) That's beautiful. And I've been doing it for so long now that I think that's just kind of how how I work. Right. I think it's become more of a habit. So I like the idea of Tabitha unplugging 
and actually taking a break to reevaluate what she's really trying to get out of it. Do you ever find it disheartening or like you're having to seriously reevaluate your expectations when you're online dating? Always, all the time. Yeah. But like I was just saying, I think that now maybe I've just become numb to it. I think if you don't do something to sort of shake things up or to pull yourself out and get some perspective, you just get stuck. So taking a couple months off is probably a really good idea. Then you come back fresh and you realize, oh, this is what I really want to get out of it. I'm not just doing this because it's there and I'm bored. Tabitha's only been doing this for a couple of months, but already she's seen some benefits from experimenting with celibacy. Going out, the relationships I've formed with like my close women friends and stuff since I've made this choice, I feel like they are more rooted because having a romantic partner in your life sort of supersedes, I guess, a lot of relationship building that can be done between friendships. Not always, but it can, especially a new relationship because um, you're excited, you want to be involved with it. And actively removing that possibility from my life means that I get my love and my companionship from my friends and letting them fill that space. You know, I have somebody I can laugh with. I have another single mom friend that we end up having five kids between us (laughs) and we go out and do these things together, sort of things like that. And even the love from my kids, I am able to do things like take them on dates and really try to show them what it's like to be treated well and with respect and with care in a way that maybe if I was so concerned about dating somebody or just maybe I wouldn't. Um, So the social aspect, you know, being celibate isn't being loveless. It's not, you know, condemning yourself to a life of loneliness. You just find love in different ways from different people. And you learn to accept that in a way that maybe you weren't open to before. Karina, don't you think that's actually really kind of powerful, the fact that she's saying that being celibate doesn't mean that you're loveless? I think we're so quick to think about love as being one kind of thing. Like the Hallmark, Disney prince going to ride up and take you off into the sunset, and that's love. And yet, you know, I'm not with someone right now. I don't know if I ever will be again, maybe. But I still feel like I have a lot of love in my life. Yeah, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive. Coming up on the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. We'll discuss the challenges of going celibate for religious reasons, and we'll also share one woman's interview that made Noah seriously contemplate the importance of sex. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Karina, you want to hear something totally adorable? Obviously. My friend Brad, who listens to the podcast and knows that we do ads for Squarespace, told me that his grandma used Squarespace to build a website. Shut your face. How old is his grandma? In her 70s. Oh, my God. Yeah, she has all these friends and they do a cookie swap. I'm not sure if it's at Christmas or they just do it around, you know, any holiday. But she gets all their recipes and puts them on the website. And that way they can all access them whenever they want them. And I kind of love that because I think we think of websites as being for the world at large, but they don't have to be. You could build a Squarespace website and just use it for your family and friends. Or just for your own community. Exactly. Which, P.S., dear Brad's grandma, I desperately want to be a part of. 
my new life goal is to be a cookie swapper. I'm sure she would let you be part of her cookie swapping community. And then you could check out her Squarespace website. The other great thing about Squarespace is that the sites look professionally designed regardless of your skill level. And there's no coding required. Yeah, and the tools are so intuitive and easy to use that even your grandma, or Brad's in this case, (laughs) can do it. So no excuses, kiddos. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. So start your free trial site today at squarespace.com. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SEX to get 10% off your first purchase. That's offer code SEX, S-E-X. Whenever I hear the word celibacy, it makes me think of religion, basically because I went to Catholic school, my dad was Jewish, my mom was Lutheran, it's nuns, it's monks, it's priests, nobody's having any sex, nobody's getting married. So now we're going to share an interview that Karina did with a woman who recently took a vow of celibacy to strengthen her relationship with God. So my name is Kat, I'm from California, and I have been in a relationship for two and a half years We have had sex during the entirety of our relationship up until December when I decided that I really wanted to focus on my faith and my walk with God and take it to the next level. And with that, I decided to take a vow of celibacy till marriage. So it's been, it'll be three months on March 10th, and it is really freaking hard. (laughs) really hard. It's um, a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. It was easier at first, and I thought it'd just continue to get easier, but it's gotten harder. So I think I've rethought it in my head about 150 times, but uh, we're still going. And, you know, I've asked him to be stronger for me when I'm having my weak moments the way that I'm stronger when obviously he's weak. I mean, we still do other things. It's just... Um, sex has been taken off the table. So speaking of other things, what does celibacy include for you? Like what is, what's on the menu and what is off? See, that's what I actually struggled with a lot in the beginning. I was like, okay, so does this mean everything? Does this mean oral? Does it, what does this mean? So I started Googling a bunch of stuff. Don't Google. Like, it just <laughs> made me feel like I shouldn't even be kissing my boyfriend. So it was one of those things where I just had to decide what worked for me versus reading what worked for other people. So we will do everything but that. And I know that sounds like it's still wrong. Oh, my gosh. It, I feel like Honestly, it's made me feel like I'm an eighth grader again, Be not even eighth grader. Like we're in the beginning of our relationship again where it's like we didn't know what to do. And I mean, dry humping, it's definitely I never thought I'd be doing that at 27. But, you know, <laughs> it happens. So was your partner on board with this decision? How did that conversation sort of play out? Was it something that kind of came out of nowhere or was it an, an evolution of a decision? It was a little bit of an evolution because I had, we both go to church um, every Sunday and it's, we talk openly about our faith and, you know, we go to church, but we're not, um, 
perfect church people. I mean, we love to drink and we drink a lot and go out and have a great time with friends. So we never, we're not perfect basically, but that's always been one thing that's kind of been in the back of my head is like, okay. I, I mean, probably a couple months before I started it, we were in the middle of having sex and I just stopped because it was like, I, I, I don't know. I felt something really weird, just like pressing on my heart and he could tell I was just so disconnected and not there anymore. And then I told him I had this like Jesus song stuck in my head and I couldn't get it out of my head. And it was just throwing me off while we were having sex. He's like, okay, yeah, that's creepy. I'm like, I know. So it's something that had been kind of building up. And then one day I decided, okay, this, I, it's, I cannot have sex normally when I've got this kind of stuff in my head. It's just, it's not fair to him or I. And this is the vow I'm going to take. He can be with it or he cannot be with it. But, um, thankfully, I I mean, I had, I know my partner and, um, I had enough faith that he would support me in this. And I mean, I had discussed it with a friend and she had even said, what if, you know, what if he doesn't? It's, I had to, make the call that, you know, then maybe this isn't the person for me. But thankfully, um, so far, so good. (laughs) So what is the most difficult part about committing yourself to celibacy after not being celibate? I say if I started the relationship like this, maybe it would have been easier because I've had other sexual partners as well with past relationships. So this isn't like something that I started, then decided not to when I got into this relationship and then started up again. It's something that just came kind of out of the blue. But I almost feel like if I had started it from the beginning with my partner, maybe it would be different. I could I could guess probably a ton of different things. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. And I don't know. I, I, it's hard when we, cause we sleep together and it's hard to be lying next to the person that you want to have sex with and can't, even though you can, but it's, it, you're putting that restriction on yourself. So it's not like we can't, but you know, you can't. It's, I know that sounds so confusing, but it's hard. No, it makes sense. Um, You mentioned that you had been in a relationship for two and a half years when you made the decision to be celibate. Yes. How long into the relationship did you wait before you became sexually active with your partner? I believe we waited about two months. So how does your and your partner's intimacy now compare to your pre-celibacy intimacy? You know, he has probably been the more affectionate one in our relationship. He... I've always had problems with affection, not in just this relationship and in my previous relationship. It's something that my partners have always wanted more from me. And um, I actually feel like I've gotten more affectionate since we started doing the celibacy thing. Um, I talked to him about it recently, about how I felt that or how we were. I, I, I was curious as to what what experiences like what has this experience brought has have you seen any change because we're very open with each other so I had this kind of questions and he said he felt like I had gotten more affectionate and that we fought less 
So if here's the thing, there could be absolutely no correlation or there could be a complete correlation. I don't really know. Right. But um, it seems like it's been a positive thing in my relationship. So say in two months, if you decided or you felt like it was okay for you to have sex again or that celibacy wasn't that important or that you just really wanted to have sex and decided to, to make that decision, do you think that you would feel like this venture into celibacy was a failure or do you feel like you've gained things from it regardless? I would feel like I gained things from it regardless. I think the biggest thing about it is self-control. And I'm trying to apply that not to just this this area of my life, but all areas of my life right now. It's a great practice. And, you know, I actually forgot. I actually did practice it in my last relationship for three months. We did it for three months. I was going through some stuff, and it was a suggestion given by um, – someone from church. And so I I took it off the table and we did it for three months. And then we um, started having sex again. And I I didn't feel bad about it. I felt like, wow, cool. Three months. Yay me. But as far as this time, it's a much different thing because I'm not looking for like some sort of temporary fix or temporary feel good about myself kind of thing. I'm I'm wanting this for self-control, which is a lot bigger of a deal for me. And, you know, I've read different things, just how one of the reasons why this is important, because when you are married, this teaches you self-control, you know, when temptation comes along or when different things in life come along. And trust me, I'm not saying you need to be celibate to have self-control in marriage. People have it all the time without ever doing that. However, to me, it can't hurt. I have to say I was very intrigued at the thought of doing this interview because the notion of someone who has already been sexually active then choosing to be celibate until marriage, that was just a really foreign concept to me and I wanted to hear her reasoning behind it. And I have to say I walk out of my conversation with her with a lot of respect for her and a lot of respect for what she's doing, but I don't know that I necessarily understand it. Yeah, I think the thing for me was drawing the line at that one act where intercourse is off, you know, the table, but everything else is still allowed. And I think just because in my head, it's hard to understand how we culturally still think that this one thing is the thing you have to watch out for. Right. That being said, like you said, I I respect anyone who's going to make some decisions about their life and say, maybe I'm doing this for reasons I shouldn't be, or maybe this is not making me feel as in control of my life as I want to be. And I think that that's cool. I think when someone can actually step back and say, you know, what do I need to do to sort of have the control I want in my life and then actually goes through with it, I have a lot of respect for that too. Well, and I think one of the central themes of this podcast that comes up a lot and something that we talk about a lot is that you don't have to understand somebody's choice or, or, or an act that somebody wants to do or doesn't want to do sexually in order to respect them. Right. And if we could all just get our heads around that, then we'd live in a much happier, much less judgmental society. But Noah, you also had the chance to speak with someone who chose celibacy because of their faith. But her story was markedly different from Kat's. Yeah, I spoke with Eve Tushnet last week. She's a writer And she's a practicing Catholic who identifies as queer, but she doesn't have any romantic relationships or any sexual partners. Basically, the most important thing to me is really just being Catholic. 
that that's sort of the central thing that everything else organizes itself around. I know I have friends who uh, are who are gay, who fell in love with someone of the opposite sex, and who married, and who basically are like, well, God is really weird. Uh, love is really weird. Human sexuality is really weird. And so these things happen. So I don't want to, unlike someone who has taken a vow of celibacy, if that were to happen, it wouldn't be a problem for me. I just think it's like extremely unlikely. Eve had what she calls a bisexual phase in college when she dated a man, but she's been celibate ever since. I really, I don't think it's a good idea to make conditions for what my future is definitely going to look like. You may have heard the old proverb, uh, man plans, God laughs. Uh-huh. Uh, but certainly, I would say because, as far as I can tell, I'm pretty much exclusively attracted to women at this point, it would be really, uh, a lot of things would have to change for me to end up in a romantic relationship or a marriage. Um, you know, nobody knows what will happen in the future. But I'll say it's not something that I'm planning on. The way that you're looking at your faith now, could you be in a same-sex relationship and not have sex? Or or is that just no relationships, no sex, no anything? No, actually a big part of my of, of my book and some of the work that I do now is rediscovering uh, pathways that same-sex love can actually be honored in the Christian church. Uh, that's traditionally the language that's been used and the language that I personally find most resonant is friendship, uh, talking about friendship as a life-shaping, beautiful, intimate, and devoted relationship, uh, something that you can genuinely make sacrifices for and sort of pour yourself out in. Uh, there are other people that I know who will use language of brothers or sisters in Christ to say, again, that this is a relationship that is as deeply life-shaping as a familial relationship. Uh, and there are other people who will use the language of celibate partnership to say, like, these are typically, these would be people who already perceive a call to celibacy and who say, but we want to, we want to be able to do, to do life together, uh, to walk together in our faith. So, yeah, I definitely think that there are lots of options for uh, creating a life that is full of relationships, rich in relationships. That's actually something that I've been trying to kind of bring more to light and to go back into Christian history and into scripture and to show the ways that Jesus, for example, who never married, nonetheless lives in this rich network of relationships uh, with the disciples and especially with the beloved disciple, John, and uses the language of friendship to describe a deeply intimate and sacrificial relationship that he actually compares. He actually says, greater love has no man than this to lay down his life for his friends instead of what we might expect today, which would be like the greatest love would be to give your life for your child or your spouse or your mom. But he actually goes to friendship as that as an image of that kind of beautiful, sacrificial intensity of love that we have uh, that exists between God and human beings. Uh, so those are the kind of things that I would say, like uh, how same-sex love can be honored and how its beauty can be recognized within the church uh, without changing the sexual ethic. Does that mean that you miss sex? Is that something that you grapple with? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. How to put... Uh, I think that there is something that is unique and set apart about sex, right? It is the only relationship between human beings that the church makes a sacrament uh, You know, within marriage, right? So there has to be 
something about that physical fleshly union uh, that is different, special, compelling. And I do think about that, you know, what are the uh, sort of what, not really what am I missing, but more like uh, what are the, what are the ways to understand real love if you're not called to that path? Um, that's sort of, that sort of rambling answer to your question. I guess the short answer is yes, I do think about it, uh, but not necessarily in the sense of like, oh, I wish I could have sex. More like, how can I live out love physically in my body? Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a huge emphasis on sex. It's a huge part of who we are. But to have such a tiny, like, shriveled role for caregiving and love outside of that relationship, I think, is really hard on married people. Uh, and really hard, really hard, sort of obviously hard on people who aren't married for whatever reason. What about someone who's hesitant specifically because of the celibacy part of it? Yeah, I think I think one conversation to have is what do you envision your future to be like? Because I think that's the huge, huge unanswered question. The thing that the thing that I'm trying to focus on, because so little of what's out there about being gay in the church really does address it. Uh, how can you are like? Do you envision for yourself a future that might be loving and full of giving yourself to people, uh, or do you envision a future that's just super isolated and fruitless and barren and alone? Because uh, if it's the second thing, like I wouldn't, I don't think I would enter that church either. Um, so that's one thing: is just what do you envision as the possible paths that your life might take? The other thing would be though. What are your images of God? How do you think God sees you? Because one thing that I'm increasingly sort of realizing is the difficulty that that gay people who grew up in the church, especially, even so, I think it's very, it's easy to become a Christian who thinks that life is about doing the right thing and following the rules and being a good person, uh, and to totally miss the sort of the deep, unconditional, radical love of God, the way that God is the Father of mercies, uh, and that He delights in you and cherishes you and just, like, takes joy in you uh, and longs to be closer to you. The thing that I was so blown away by when I was talking to Eve is that obviously, you know, I'm very sex positive. I have a lot of sex. Sex is a big part of my life. But I love what she was saying about this idea that if you're not having sex, you can spend a lot of that time and that energy doing other things, like bettering yourself, uh, you know, making your relationships with other people better. I mean, the amount of time that I personally spend looking for sex, having sex, cleaning up after sex, (laughs) you know. If you took all of that time and funneled it into something, you'd basically be Beyonce. I would be Beyonce. With facial hair. I'm convinced. Exactly. But at the same time, after we've talked to all these people... And like, you know, like we said, we really respect what they're doing and why they're doing it. I feel like it's we can't talk about celibacy or about chastity without this bringing up the idea that there is something sort of sex negative about it. Right. And and again, I don't want to disrespect anyone who spoke with us because I'm really happy that they found something that that giving them peace or giving them um, control. But I think a lot of times because of religious factors, because of cultural factors, People think sex is bad or sex is shameful or sex is something they shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. And like I fundamentally 
have an issue with that. What, what do you think about it? I mean, I think it's interesting even just historically, like the Eleusinian mystery cults in the Greco-Roman world. This is when I get really nerdy on you. <laughs> but they believed that orgasm was the way to be closest to the divine. So they would have these massive lesbian orgies where they would just give each other orgasm after orgasm because they thought orgasm was the way to be closest to God. Right. And like, I'm not saying I'm joining an Eleusinian mystery cult, mostly because they don't exist today, but that makes sense to me. Like, that does make sense to me. So I think a lot of it is cultural. Um, and But I also do think that we have a cultural obsession with sex. Mm -hmm. And taking that out of the equation is also an interesting way to challenge that cultural narrative and challenge the importance of sex. Right, because if you don't think about it, if you're just doing these things out of habit or out of obsession, then you don't really think about what is sex worth and why is sex important. And so sometimes it's like when you go on a cleanse and then you come back and you get to eat chocolate again and you remember how delicious chocolate is. If you take some time off of sex, maybe you also are able to remember why sex is so incredible. That's it for this episode of the HuffPost Love and Sex Podcast. Thanks to our guests, and thanks to our producer, Caitlin Baguki, and our editor, Nick Offenberg. If you haven't had the chance to find Love and Sex on iTunes, please take some time to do that now. And while you're there, leave a review and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. You can also email us. That's how we get a lot of our great ideas for episodes. Our email is loveandsexpodcast at huffingtonpost.com, or you can tweet us using the handle at HuffPost Podcast. We'll be back with another episode in just two weeks. Thanks for listening.